0: Hey, what's up? I'm Russ. I've got a really good interview with none other than Mike, the dividend guy, fellow YouTuber, dividend investor. And there was a lot of knowledge shared in this one where we talked about his path to financial freedom without being fire, some insights into the Canadian banks, and if now might be a good and sneaky time to buy them, and all about the importance of his dividend triangle. Make sure to sub to his YouTube channel and his website. The links are in the description below. And without further ado, dear dividend investing viewer, I bring you a conversation with Mike the Dividend Guy. Mike the Dividend Guy, Thank you so much for being on the channel, on the show here on the Dapper Dividends podcast. Happy half hour, and you're going to make it a happy half hour. So, dude, thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks, Russ. I mean, I'm super excited, and we had like some problems to catch up to finally find a time. So, now it's good. It's like, at night, kids are back to school, so everything is under control now.
0: <laughs> yeah, your kids, my kids, we were just talking before. You have, a, uh, your, your oldest is 18, mine are about 16 and 15, so... They're saying how the time just flies by so, so ridiculously fast. And speaking of time flying by fast, why don't you start us off? Well, I'll I'll lob up a softball pitch uh, to you. What got you into dividend investing and what is a little bit of your background? So who is, for the people that don't know, who is Mike, the dividend guy?
1: Yeah, so I started... Pretty far away from dividend investing, actually. I started investing in 2003. Uh, I just, at that time, I just got my first job as a credit analyst. So I thought, well, let's go to the branch, ask for $20,000 on a credit and start borrowing money and invest, right? And because I was financing investment alone back then, and I thought it was like a pretty smart idea. So I was like trading pretty much every week, spending a lot of time on the market. And I did that between 2003 and 2010. So like a few years after, obviously those were pretty good years before the financial crisis. I sold pretty much all my accounts, bought a house right before the crash. So in 2006, so that was great. Did my MBA, did my financial planner title, got two kids in a row, and I started to lack of time. And at the same time, while I was building my, my career as a financial planner, also had a blog on personal finance. I was always passionate about personal finance and I thought that this was something that was lack of, like a lot of people don't know how to manage a budget, they don't know how to invest in all of those topics. So I thought, you know what, we're gonna help People And back then, I mean, blogging was a big thing back in 2005, 2006. And I realized I could make money from it. I started to buy and sell blogs. And one of my way to do that was I was just following a bunch of blogs. And then when I started to see an author starting to slow down his writing or just like stop writing altogether, and I would, would just contact them and say, well... You want to sell and then I was just buying and then keep on going so I did that for a few years and then in 2010 I was reading the Dividend Guy blog that was not me before 2010 and that was that blog was going on for a while back then and I reached out to the author and he was like yeah I have other projects I can't manage this anymore so okay so you if you want it you can like we're, we're gonna make a contract and, and I bought the blog and at the same time I couldn't afford to spend three four hours a day on investing anymore because i was just like trying to catch up trends didn't have really a strategy but it was just working so it was fun and then I, i started reading that blog and between 2010 and 2012 i shifted my strategy from pretty much just trying to time the market on pretty like any kind of trend that was happening to a solid investment strategy all about Dividend growth investing that happened for over two years. So I sold all my other stocks. I just focused on that. And then, as I was researching, at first I had like minimum yield, for example, as a metric, like nothing under 3% was on my radar. And then I look at Coca Cola and I'm like, wow, that's a pretty good stock. Like everything, like all the metrics are fine. So. So I had to make an exception, it was paying like 2 point something back then. And then I look at Disney and I was like, well, Disney's also a great stock. And then eventually I'm like, you know what? The yield doesn't really matter. It's all about the growth, the dividend growth. And eventually, a year after, the same guy contacted me in 2013 and he said, I built a membership platform. Everything is like built for you with the license, the design and everything. But I just don't have time to build the actual membership and start selling it. And I thought, well, that is could be a great sideline as well for me. I do believe in that strategy now. I'm fully invested in dividend growth stocks. So I ended up buying dividend growth stocks, uh, dividend stocks rocks from the same guy and opened the, 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 the membership at that time. Uh, and that was just like a side gig for a while. Fast forward to 2016, my wife used to have a daycare at home. She's fed up and she's like, yeah, Mike, I heard about this, this family, they're going on a bike trip, a cycling trip with their with their kids. And they're just like leaving everything behind for a full year. And I'm like, yeah, I'm down to do that, but not on a bicycle. So we bought a small RV, we rented our house, and we just left. So we drove across north america and then central america we all the way down to costa rica and i was working on that on dsr at that time at the same time like growing the membership that was like my source of revenue because i i didn't save money for that i was just like you know what let's just go try to figure out and once we entered mexico it was pretty cheap and then in guatemala and under us was like super cheap it's like oh, i can live with my small membership website and when i came back I decided to quit my job as a private banker and just do that full time. And now I'm like more than ever fully committed to dividend growth investing since 2017. I report my portfolio live. I got like my pension plan from my previous em- employer. And what I liked about this one, it's a lectin account where I cannot add capital. So I cannot say, oh yeah, my, my dividend increased by like 50% this year because in reality I added like $20,000. I can't. It's just the capital that was there plus the dividend re- being reinvested, some capital gain, and that's it. So it's a real case study. It's been seven years now. Half of it is invested on the US market, the other half on the Canadian market. So this is, this is where I'm at right now. It's been seven years doing DSR full time, having a lot of fun and connecting with people like you guys.
0: <laughs> Dude, I love, you know, this is what I love about talking with other podcasters and creators because I could just ask one question. So tell me about yourself and I could just take a break and come back 5 minutes later. <laughs> so there's a lot to unpack there and that's really interesting. I sure wish that back in the day I was using the internet for something other than fantasy football, fantasy hockey and watching music videos. That was about all I used it for and a little bit of news. So you were were you flipping websites then? You were for flipping blog posts or not blog posts flipping blogs or, or websites
1: yeah we uh, we saw that my partner and i we saw that between 2003 and 2012 roughly before we started dsr because then it became a real business but before that we saw buying and selling blogs like real estate but the difference is instead of being like 15 times a rental like the revenue of a rental property now you're you're buying it for like not even two years worth of revenue so it was pretty cheap. And once you get that, that model going, you just copy paste your model on each blogs, making more money and then either keeping it to make even more money or just flipping and then sell it to at a better price like six or eight months later. Unfortunately, there was a huge Google update in 2012 around financial website and most of that business died at that time. So it was all about advertising, selling links and that didn't end well. So this is why we decided to focus on the membership part. And I'm very glad that we did that because now the thing is when I was a private banker, I was able to help like let's say like 300 clients and now I'm able to help thousands of investors like across the world I have like absolutely no limits which is amazing because now I can just help them getting more conviction help them like getting a better strategy providing them tools and and just the conviction to be able to buy and to sell your stocks and take actions I found that too many people suffer from paralysis by analysis. They're just wondering what's going to, what's the the Fed's going to happen? Is there an election or what's going to like the next earnings season is going to like bring up? And then I should wait. Interest rates are still rising. I'm not too sure what's going to happen. It's going to crash. It's not going to crash. And I'm like, well, if you stay invested the long over the long haul, obviously you're going to make a lot more money. But it, it takes a lot of guts to do that so
0: you get to you get to be something bigger than yourself you can do it from virtually almost anywhere which is going to tie into our next topic and what you know we threw on the thumbnail so a lot of you might be here because i came across a tweet from you sometime back and and it's something that really has been on my mind and it's funny how you see something and you don't really know how that's long it's going to take that seed to uh, plant in your mind and to grow into something so i've been talking with a few other creators in the space and you know when I began this so I'm (laughs) completely different trajectory than you. I I as I said was just not paying attention to my investments like I should have. I was putting money into a four oh one K through my work and that was it man. It was just I look at those lost opportunities and those those years of contributing maybe two or three percent of my pre-tax income and that was it. We blew everything else so Uh, We've come a long way to where we are now, um, learning this game of personal finance. So before we move on, actually, what is one of the biggest mistakes that you made back when you started doing things on your own? Or what is something that you wish you could have done differently?
1: When I started, I was just like a young dude passionate about investing, but I had no strategy. I started at the best and the worst timing at the same time, because in 2003, a monkey would have made money on the market. So as I was buying and selling and making money, I thought that I was just very smart, but in the end I was like more lucky than anything else. And and eventually I woke up cause I, I bought my first house in 2006. And then in 2007, I kind of realized that the house was too small, we were having a second kid. So decided to sell and buy another one. So we had like that time frame where I had like a few months to play around with my cash down for my next house, and I decided to put everything back in the market, thinking that was a smart thing to do. And then I think, oh, everything I touch turns into gold, so let's buy some penny stocks, and on top of buying a new house, I'm going to buy myself a nice BMW and I'm going to pay cash for it. So you can imagine that, and it's kind of funny because I had like the choice between two penny stocks that, you know, you heard from like your good friend that your his father is working with the, the neighbor or whatever and apparently it's a sure thing and I bought like for $10,000 of that company I go for lunch with my friends and then I come back at work I open my computer and then I'm down 50% oh, but no. like flush like I'm losing $5,000 so I'm, th- I'm thinking it must be a split but I'm like, wait a second. Why a penny stock would split? That doesn't make any sense. And then I like, like, oh, the results from the mining company is is now open in that they didn't find anything. It was like exploration, but obviously didn't find anything. Well, with the results, and the stock just crumbled and then I had to call my parents to borrow some money because I didn't have enough for my cash down because I was playing with it so yeah I, I learned it the hard way but at the same time it was a good mistake to understand that if you do not have a real strategy no matter what it is I mean some people they'd rather go with with index investing and that's fine. Some others will go with, with options, that's fine as well. But if it's not a clear process where you know each of the step that you need to do before you make a transaction, either it's a sell or a buy a transaction, then you don't know anything. You're just lucky or bad luck, but it's, it's not, hope is not a strategy. And just trying to write the market is definitely not a good idea.
0: Dude, absolutely. So you're saying don't confuse a bull market with brains or being really smart and stay away from penny stocks.
1: Definitely. Which I learned.
0: I learned penny stocks too. (laughs) I first started penny stocks, bad idea. But, you know, as we talk about, man, those mistakes you learn, like you said, it was really important, is your tuition to the market. So that's your, you know, your stock market tuition, as I look at it, that you're paying. And also, just, dude, that's such a great point that if you need money, And I'd like to know your opinion because I've heard anywhere from four to five years, if you need that money within four or five years, then you should not put it into the stock market, put it into something that's a lot safer because when it's time to use that money, if we have a stock market crash, then you may have to sell it at a loss and realize those gains. And, and that's something I've learned is that generally the market as a whole obviously goes up and to the right and individual companies in them may or may not do so. But what a wonderful point that you brought out that uh, those are lessons, man. Those are things we have to learn. So if you're listening to this and you're not sure or you're making mistakes, don't, I would say, and maybe you agree with this, don't make a mistake that will completely wipe you out. But... You can mm-hmm. learn from it. It's a learning lesson and it's uh, your tuition to the stock market.
1: Yeah, and it's important to realize what is your risk exposure. Like sometimes now I discuss with with clients and they're just like, yeah, but I like Apple. And now I have like 20% of my portfolio in Apple. And I'm like, even Warren Buffett is at 40%. And I'm like, can you really afford to lose 20% of your portfolio? Definitely not. And, and realistically, you can put your risk exposure to any of your larger position as what happens if you lose 50% of that. Then the discussion is not about whether or not Apple is a great business. It's just about that risk exposure. And if we had that, that, conversa- that conversation about 3M in 2018, we would both agree that it was a fantastic business yes. and a fantastic stock to all. I mean, a dividend king, the company is present across the world, 50% of its revenue is repetitive purchases, they spend billions of dollars in R&D to always be ahead of the competition. Like the company was almost perfect. And then five years later, they have lawsuits. They suffer from inflation. They suffer from recession. Everything goes wrong. And the stock is pretty much down like 45, 50%. Who would have thought that five years ago, that would be the case, right? So instead of like arguing about, yeah, this company is amazing. It's probably is, but your exposure to it has to be, like level to a a, a a point where, as you said, you're not going to wipe out a good part of your retirement plan just on a single stock because we never know what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, and it goes to show that any company, dude, any company is at risk. Of any black swan event happening and yes, like a Procter and Gamble may not be as risky as Neo, like some you know, Chinese EV car company. But still, it's just on it's it's still risky, it's still an equity. I'm gonna just really roughly segue then, because that's what we do around here, into your anti fire <laughs> your anti fire stands, which I love. And as I was starting to say, is that sorry, there's just some people, my neighbors walking by and looking at me. okay take two I should should leave this in so I was talking to you before we hopped on about dividends paying a portion of what you bring in a portion of your bills not everything all at once and that's kind of what I looked at when I started was like you know I'm gonna get so many dividends and they're gonna cover everything and I could just sit around and play video games if I want to but you're somebody that Professes to be neither fi, financially independent nor retired early. So, I would love your take on why you are not fire and why you are, I guess, against fire or anti fire.
1: I'm not really against fire per se, in a sense that you know, we all each have our, our path and our goals. But when I look at fire, like obviously, there are two parts there's like being financially independent, and being financially independent, of course. I'm looking to get that at one point. But what I realized when when we quit everything in, 2017, in 2016 to travel with our three kids, my wife and I realized that you could die tomorrow morning. And what is really important, the most valuable currency in life is not money, but it's time. So I'd rather be rich of time. And I've made those choices to be able to go to all of my daughter's hip-hop dance competition. Whenever it is, I'm there. I coach my two kids soccer. I'm at all the practice. I can do whatever I want. But that required me to sacrifice a part of future income that I'm making because obviously while I'm doing this, I'm not building my business. So I'm living well, but I decided to do it on a like slow pace to build that business instead of like just closing the door of my office, working like 15 hours a day. And I could do that. I've done that when I was younger. Well, I was like doing my MBA and my financial planner title at the same time. And I had two newborns at home and I ended up almost getting divorced. So we went into a big crisis, my wife and I, and then I realized, okay, this is not life. So I'm like, yes, I want to make money. And it's building up over time but the most important thing is I'm rich of time and now every year we spend a ridiculous amount of money on traveling with our family but that's the most important thing like this this summer I went three weeks in Portugal and and then my children they're just like yeah everybody's at school think we're rich and I'm like no we're not rich we just have a lot of time and we focus on on traveling so it shows like big thing but I'm like I'm not even buying myself a t-shirt any year. Like I'm just like whatever, you know, I don't spend money on that. So for the financial independence part, it's a long-term goal but not something that is short-term. And I was fortunate enough to work very hard at the beginning of of my 20s and put a lot of money aside. So my my kind of like my plan B if my business doesn't work, I know that my retirement accounts will be big enough so i can retire around 60 65 and and i'll be i'll be good so that's good that's and now it's just like the power of compounding interest like working its magic and and there we go for the part of retire like the re this is the part that i really don't get i don't get because i just love what i do and this is probably like i get some someone that hates his job that wants to work very hard make sacrifices and just make sure that eventually they can quit their job as fast as possible. But on my side, I'm like, I don't want to make those sacrifices because I want to live today. Because if I live tomorrow, if if I die tomorrow morning, I'll be happy with what I've done so far. And, And to me, that is super important. When I came back from that one year trip and I was 35 back then, I told my wife, of course, I want to live another 50 years, but I could die today and I would be satisfied with the time that I've been given on this earth. I would be satisfied with the usage i've done and going forward i rather spend more time having fun than working and that also includes to make sure that every morning like i wake up on monday morning and i'm super excited to go in my office and start working and and sometimes i wake up on sunday morning when everybody's away asleep and i start working and then people are just like yeah you're a business owner so you work all the time and i'm like Not really. I mean, you may spend time watching Netflix or spending time on Facebook. I'm spending time working on my business, but that's really my hobby. I just love it. It's kind of funny. I had a meeting with one of my employee today and I told her how... I I found a podcast about the story around Costco, the podcast called Acquired. I don't know if you ever listened to those. Those are like super long episodes, like three hours, four hours long episodes. And I told her, I'm like, oh, I'm so happy to have, like I have two two puppies right now. So I'm like so happy because after my morning run, I get to walk them and then I walk them again around noon so I can spend more time listening to that story. And I was just passionate about it and I'm like, wow, that's probably my next purchase, but it's just so I'm having fun doing this. So I'm making money, but that's just like, that's a side impact of of this. I don't want to retire. I want to work until my brains fall off. So maybe until the age of like 80, 85. I mean, would you say like Warren Buffett is not retired? No. I mean, he could, but he will never retire. No,
0: he's going to do that till he dies. And, dude, you just... You know, those of you that can't see, I was smiling when you were talking about being rich of time. And the perfect... Uh, thing that I've heard about that is if I offered you $10 million, completely no strings attached, $10 million, would you take it? If if it means
1: that I cannot work,
0: you mean? Just $10 million. I would would give you $10 million, no strings attached. Would
1: you take it? Uh, I would take it, but it's not going to change anything. The next morning, I'm still going to wake up like at 5 a.m., do my morning run, and then Come to my uh, my home office and start working. Yep. So That's you'd be, for sure. You beat me to it. So
0: the next question is, <laughs> now if I offered you $10 million, but you couldn't wake up tomorrow or ever again, would you take it?
1: No. No. So ever. that just, you it, just proved. No, it doesn't make any sense. You
0: just proved that your time is more important than money. And money gives us, options to use more to use the time that we want to use uh, to use it in a way that we want to use it boy i'm tongue-tied today (laughs) but hey ryan (laughs) tongue-tied today so like you said when you went on that year long trip i love that because we just went to ireland and we saved for a couple years for that and now I'm hooked. I was just like, I want to go on more trips with my family, with my kids. And you're living the dream, I think, because you said you're rich of time and you're doing things that you love to do. And not only that, but I'm kind of of the mindset that I don't think I'll ever be retired, but I'm going to shift. I'm going to go from one thing to the next thing. And hopefully the next Mm -hmm. thing I can do longer because right now I climb ladders, I weld outside, work in the elements. And I'm 40. I'll be 46 in April, so I can't. I can't do that until I'm 80. But with the stuff I'm doing here, like sharing information and talking with people and just connecting with people, like talking and typing, right? That's something you can probably yeah. do until you're in your 90s if you wanted to.
1: And I like the fact that with that technology, you can do that. Anywhere. I mean, we, we came back to Canada for our children, but if not, my wife and I wanted to sell everything at that time. We're just like, you know what, we're gonna be nomads and that's gonna be so much fun and like just live across the world. And it's so much cheaper in other parts of the world that you, you might want to do that as well. But but yeah, I mean it's just a matter of like life could be incredibly short as well. And sometimes we don't realize that. And crossing the borders of some countries like Under Us or, or El Salvador, where it's like one of like the most deadliest countries per capita in the world. You kind of realize that the fear of losing your house when you come back home. I mean, of course it sucks. It's a tragedy, but it's not the end of the world. I mean, it's just... It's just a house, you know, it's just like woods and and windows. As long as you have health and you have your family, the rest doesn't really matter.
0: I agree. Here, here, I'll drink to that. So so talking <laughs> about something that is rich in time and has been around a long time, uh, I wanted to get your pick on maybe a stock or two, something you like. And again, we we talked for a bit before this we kicked this thing off. I just heard today that the Canadian banks, the big six, have a dividend yield of about 5.2%. Mm-hmm. They have a forward price, to earnings of about nine and a half, I think is the number I read. And a few other metrics, but the point of it was in the past 30 years, they haven't been at this level, except for three times. Uh, the first one was in the first half of 2000. The second time was in the end of 2008, the beginning of 2009. And then the third time was March of 2020. So. In my mind... There's a trend here. Yeah, yeah, a few things happened uh, right when, before the uh, when they were at this level. So I own Toronto Dominion Bank, ticker TD. I'm going to hold them for a long time. So what is your opinion on just, you know, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth here, but if those aren't your picks, real quick, what, what do you think about the Canadian banks? Do you think because they've been paying dividends for some of them, right, close to 200 years, uh, just yeah. are they good to just buy opportune time to buy because there's a lot of negativity around them still it's not as bad but just to buy them hold them for decades to come and it can be an attractive return
1: yeah I'll, I'll do a quick summary on banks because a lot of people even canadians think that the big six are all the same and they're definitely not in terms of business model so of course they all share this special business model where they're protected by the federal government they're working in an oligopoly. Which is completely the opposite as what you have in the, in the states where a bank could go bankrupt and nobody cares because it's like a convenience store. But in Canada, we have like those six banks probably control like 90% of our economy. So if one fails, that's like your entire system that will collapse. And and that makes a big difference. They're heavily regulated as well, which is a good thing. Then what they all did is they decided to grow different ways. So they they have different growth vectors. So you have more classic bank, like savings and banking, like savings and loans, such as TD and CIBC, uh, ticker CM. And you also have like one that decided to go internationally. So Scotiabank, ticker BNS, decided to grow in Latin America. Which is a sexy narrative where you're telling your shareholders, oh, but like... Mexico and Chile, their their GDP is going to grow a lot faster than the U.S. and the Canada, so the money will be there. But doing banking in those countries is not that easy, and people they do not take like five hundred thousand dollar mortgage over there. So overall, long story short, a lot it's a lot more volatile, more dangerous, and they created a burden for themselves instead of like a growth factor. So that's why they lag uh, behind the the others, and then you have like more adventurous bank like BMO, BMO, the thicker, that decided to go a little bit more about capital markets, ETF, the investing side. So one quarter, you're going to do Marvels. The other one, it's going to be hard because they're going to make bad trades, but still overall, pretty good bank. And then you have the most diversified, that is Royal Bank, which 50% of its revenue is coming from savings and loans. And the other 50 is coming from wealth management, capital market, and insurance. So if you want something that's a bit more diversified, but still incredibly solid based in Canada, Royal Bank is great for that. TD decided to open its, uh, a lot of branches and make a lot of acquisition in the States, which is great because there are a lot more growth opportunities over there. So that's also a good one. But my favorite one above and beyond, and unfortunately it trades as a, uh, uh over the counter as a pink sheet. On, uh, on the uh, the US market, it's National Bank. Uh, the US ticker is NTIOF. So National Bank is a super regional bank mostly based in Quebec. Full disclaimer, this is one of my largest holding and I've worked there for like 13 years. So I know the bank's inside out, but it's well diversified, similar to what Royal Bank decided to do but they have like one of the largest private banking operation in Canada. They're like fourth in assets under management for private banking. They decided to expand in Cambodia. They have, they own ABBA Bank over there. They have like other ties to US banks as well. And they just grow a lot faster than all the others because they're smaller and they're more flexible. So obviously a little bit more volatile type of stock, but when you look at it, like, National Bank has outperformed the others for the past 5, 10, 15 and 20 years. And one thing that I love about this one and, and one of my like first metrics that I look at when I look at any stocks is what I call the dividend triangle. So the dividend triangle is like three sides of the triangle. So it's literally just three metrics. I look at revenue trends, earnings per share trends and the dividend growth trends over 5 to 10 years just to see because I mean, when you go from the basic you want a company that is able to increase its sales because they are growing so they sell more they make more money so that's the one, the first thing and then for a business that grows their sales you want also that business to make more profit so they need pricing power healthy margin and being able to have like to, to expand those margins so you look at earnings per share and if you have a company where a business is thriving and making a lot of profit well technically They should share the wealth with shareholders and increase their dividend accordingly. And what I love about National Bank is when you look at the revenue, the earnings and the dividend growth trend over the past five and ten years, it looks like it just goes up almost all the time. It's like super smooth. Like if if you forget about 2020, for example, but for the rest, it's just like clockwork. Everything grows, I single digit all the time. And those I've seen that for my portfolio, those companies with a very strong dividend triangle are the best performers across all my portfolios.
0: You know, I love it. I swear to God, I thought you are reading my notes here because I got a, a few things that I'm asking you here. And one, <laughs> one of them, I had a nice little intro. I was going to say, all the great things come in threes. You've got Doritos, you've got the pyramids, and you've got... <laughs> the dividend triangle. So will you tell us about the dividend triangle? So you (laughs) took my thunder on that one, but that's okay. So, you know, it's just perfect. I really enjoy that. I listen to your podcast and I always, I just think that's so cool that you have your dividend triangle and just all very good metrics. And something I'm learning about, I want to get better at learning the company's quality of their earnings because yeah, it's not just enough to look at the financial statements, but and this is where I want to go. This is years down the line for me, but I'm going to gravitate in that way. And I don't know, is there any any tips you have to quickly, and this is going to not apply to a lot of people. This is just my own self-indulgent question here uh, <laughs> asking you, Mike, but is there any one maybe quick and easy metric you can use to look at a company's quality of their earnings, if it's getting better or worse, and maybe something that could be... I don't want to say manipulation because if it's within the law, maybe financial engineering. So is there any one nice metric you have to to tell if a company has quality earnings?
1: its It's actually part of my analysis where I separate the analysis in two part where you have the first part where I, I look at the narrative, like just all, you know, the strength, the weaknesses, the opportunities, the threats, like the, the classic SWOT, but just what is the story behind the stock? And then sometimes you get very excited about a business that has like an amazing story and then bunch of growth vectors and you all see just the positive. But after that, what I do is I look at the trends of that dividend triangle because it's one thing to look at the numbers because if you look just the five years growth rate, it's fun to say, okay, it grew by like 7% on growth rate over the past five years. But maybe that in between, there was like no organic growth whatsoever the first two years, they made a huge acquisition which boosted their revenue and then no organic growth afterwards. So yes, you have that 7%, but when you look at the graph, you see that there's a spike, either like a drop or a pike, and then you have to investigate in those quarters what really happens. So it's true for the revenue. It's also true for the earnings. As you said, for earnings, the tricky part is you may play around a bit with accounting numbers from one year to another. It's hard to do that on five to ten years. For example, banks are pretty good at increasing their provision for credit losses which reduce their earnings immediately. But that's just being cautious because the year after, if they have not lost money on those loans, they have to put that back into earnings. So it's kind of funny because now Canadian banks are just like, yeah, earnings are down because provisions for credit losses are up. And next year, everybody's going to be, oh my God, they're growing their earnings like there's no tomorrow. And I'm like, yeah, well, not really. But I mean, whatever. It's not real money. They didn't, they just didn't lose it last year and now they're making it. But it's just the same, same cash in the same bank account. But I don't really like to use, like, I will look at the cash flow from operation on a second level. But most of the time, the problem is it's pretty much like you look at your own cash flow from one month to another, it could be completely different. Maybe you had like holidays, maybe you went on vacation. So if you look at your cash flow when you went to Ireland, well, definitely you would have said, oh my God, I'm going to go bankrupt in six months if I continue to spend at yes. this space. But yes. that's that's not the reality. That was planned and it was exceptional. So the, the cash flow will fluctuate like this on the financial statement. So it's a little bit harder to get a good sense of that. Of course, it's important, but it could fluctuate a lot from one year to another. So that's why I prefer to see the earnings. And the key is really to do a deep dive into specific quarters where you see major changes, either for the good or for the bad. And same thing with the dividend dividend growth. Sometimes you'll have a company, well, we can see like what happened with AT&T. It was a very good dividend grower and then it slowed down and then it slowed down a little bit more. And then at one point, oh, they forgot to increase their dividend for one year. What happened the following years or like 18 months after they forgot that? Well, they cut it off. Those are signs, you know, you see the trend and you don't need to be a genius and you don't need to go through so many financial statements. If you cannot make the narrative fits in with the number. Like again, like the story with Scotiabank, oh, we're going to grow faster than the others because we grow in Chile and Mexico and, and Central America. And then you look at the revenue and earnings and are just like, no, you're not. Like you can tell me whatever narrative you want, but that's just the story. That's fairy tale because in, the number does not reflect what's happening, what you're telling. And If you cannot make both work together, I mean, you work so hard for your money and there are so many opportunities on the market. If you don't get something, just pass and take the next opportunity. That's it. There are like so many great stocks to buy, right?
0: That's awesome. I mean, that's just that's so simply put to have the story. And to have the uh the number, and if you can make them work it's probably going to be okay well, I mean well unless we look at uh three m because as you were talking about earnings, I swear to god on th- and this is when i the last straw I had with three m they actually had adjusted earnings or adjusted revenue. how do you have adjusted revenue like what there was adjusted everything they had adjusted earnings, adjusted free cash flow, adjusted. I was like this too much. I, I don't know. I'm out. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm out. Yeah, and and that was like one sign. I mean, 5 years ago, the dividend triangle was almost perfect cuz everything was 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 going up very quickly. But then it's been like what 3 years now? It's a penny every year. I mean, it's just to keep that streak going, but it's not meaningful anymore. And it doesn't even match up the inflation, so it's not making any sense anymore. And, and for those companies, sometimes they're going to talk about revenue growth in constant currency, which makes sense for them because more than 50% of their revenue are made offshore, which could actually, I mean, could make a big difference especially when when right now we have a very strong USD that could hurt for one year to another but again if you look for a trend for five years 10 years that trend is like you don't have to look at adjusted anymore because there's nothing to adjust over 10 years like you're either making money or you're either not making money but it's just plain and simple at this point.
0: Thank you. You've educated me on that. And I remember I looked at some of the other, I was like, I don't see anybody else that has adjusted like on the headline. They're not like putting that mm-hmm. out to everybody saying this is our adjusted revenue. So if this all sounds too complicated, if you're listening to this or watching this and you're like, you, I don't want that challenge. Uh, you just give a quick answer. Um, ETFs, I think, are the way to go. So do you have a Definitely. favorite ETF out there for people who may not want to spend any time diving into financial statements to look at the story and the numbers?
1: Uh, I'm not a big fan of ETF because I like to be in control. And when I look at the top 10 things, there's always at least one company I don't like. However, on the US side, I think that um, SCHD, Schwab's, I mean, that's like the favorite of everybody, but I've done some reviews on this one, and if I was not investing on my own, that would be probably one that I would look at. Like any dividend growth-oriented ETF for the same reason. I mean, if a business is able, and it's kind of funny because there's that big fight between mostly financial advisors telling you that, You should pay them money. And also that index investing is better than going towards dividend growth investing. But the point is, if you're looking at a business that is able to increase its dividend every single year, that's obviously a business that has a great business model, a good management team, a solid balance sheet that has plenty of growth vector, pricing power, healthy margin. I mean, all the qualities that you would like to find As an investor but the dividend growth is a proof it's a consequence that this business is doing well so i'm like if i focus on those i just narrow down my choices to probably the most efficient business there are and of course we're gonna make mistakes i've made mistakes in the past i made mistakes recently but that doesn't really matter because as long as your overall portfolio is doing well I see investing like playing baseball. I played baseball all like when I was young and you cannot hit every single ball, right? Like it's not, it's impossible to strike for a thousand. The point is to strike to to hit the ball more often than you strike out. And once in a while you can then knock it off the park and it's going to be fun. But in general, if you just want to play it safe, Well, it's good. I mean, you you just get to the first base and then you're going to be happy and it's going to work out. And sometimes you're going to strike out, but overall, just do better moves than worse one and let your winners ride. So whenever there's a winner, I mean, you just revise your investment thesis and just like all the good reasons why I have this company in my portfolio, they're still valid today. I don't care if I'm up 200%, I'm going to keep it because it's still valid. So it's going to continue to thrive. So I'm not going to sell it.
0: Yeah, you you bring up a point like Warren Buffett says, the beauty of investing is that you can just stand there waiting for your perfect pitch. You don't have to swing. And right. Sometimes he yeah. doesn't buy anything for years. Dude, this was just <laughs> awesome for me. And I've, you've educated me and I hope those of you listening have learned something. And I hope that you subscribe to Mike on his YouTube channel, check out his podcast and what you have several blogs. What, I'll leave i'll leave you to hand it off what do you want to tell people where they can reach you at and i will put links in the notes below
1: yeah so the easiest way to find me is to search for the dividend guy blog so dividendguyblog.com i have the end old dividend guy on twitter as well same thing for the youtube channel and if you subscribe to the free newsletter i have like a portfolio recession proof workbook it's like 70 pages i actually created that for my paying members using the tools at DSR. But you can use that to build your strategy, identify which stocks to keep, which stock to sell, which is a very tough thing to do, but the book is helping you and that's 100% free. You have like stock lists and so on. And then if you want to go a bit further, well. Check out Dividend Stocks Rock. Even though I'm Canadian, even though I have that weird French accent, I do cover US stocks. And actually, 60% of my portfolio is in US stocks. So we cover like 1,100 companies. Uh, we have like portfolio builders, we have stock comparison and tools, and I do private webinars for my members every month where they send me all the questions. I actually have like one tomorrow. So I have like, 80 questions that I receive, I do the research and I pull out like a two hours webinar answering all those questions live for everybody that pulls out. So it's just like, for me, it's just so much fun to talk about investing. I guess you can pretty good get that 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 feeling right now. But yeah, I just, you have to stop me for talking about dividend-rolled investing.
0: I'll, i I mean, I love it. And that's not a weird accent, man. As I'm listening to you talk, I can't help but be reminded of two of my favorite players in the NHL when I was younger was uh, Patrick Roy and uh, Martin Verodior. <laughs> like, you you remind me of them, and I love it. The The francophone, right? The francophone uh, accent. Yeah. Man, this has been fantastic. I've enjoyed having you, and I, could, I think we could have just talked another hour. I could have at least listened to you for another hour. So this has been... Um, Pleasurable for me to have you on, and we'll do it definitely again in the future. So uh, I guess merci beaucoup. Is that right? Did I say it
1: right? And that's pretty good. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, <laughs> that's and, what can, it is. How do you in French? How do you say dividends? Dividend. Dividend. Okay.
1: Dividend. See,
0: it's not that that
1: difficult, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I do better with Spanish. I've I've known Spanish for for a while. So, I'd...
1: is it dividende in in Spanish? What is it? Dividendos. <laughs> so yeah yeah
0: there's a hashtag i think on twitter they have anyway so all right before we go too fire international and bore the heck out of everybody i will thank you again for uh stopping by and giving me a little bit of your time and everybody else we will see you in the next episode so long everybody
1: it's been a pleasure thanks for having me
0: absolutely mike